Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7? A few weeks ago in the summertime, I started this series entitled, Jesus Said What? And we're looking uh, at some of the things he said in the Sermon on the Mount, just as a reminder. Um, everything is God's word in your Bible from Genesis to maps. It's all the word of God, but in contained there in the New Testament, there are some words that are in red, which means Jesus said those words. Now, the words in red are no more the word of God than the word in black. It's all the word of God. However, we know Jesus said those words in red and his followers wrote them down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we just like to see what did Jesus say? And so uh, even inside the words on the red, there's one particular sermon Jesus preached that was called the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. And we're diving into that sermon and just pulling out some of the passages where it's really a little bit confounding, where Jesus said something that broke the mold and the pattern of the day, even of our day. So we've looked at uh, nip it in the bud. Remember Jesus said, if you look at a woman and commit adultery with her in your heart, or you've already committed adultery with her in your heart, and Jesus was saying, you've got to stop sin before it starts. We looked at loving the unlovable, which Jesus said, love your enemies. And then last week we looked at don't be a worry wart. And we looked at what Jesus said about worry. And if you've missed any of those sermons, you can go back on your mobile app and uh, click on them on the podcast and be able to listen to them there. Today I want to preach in Matthew chapter 7. And I want to preach this subject. What Jesus said to us was this, pray harder, pray harder. Now when you look in, uh, uh, talk about prayer in the Christian life, I mean, it's not like we don't pray. Heard about one little boy, he was saying his nighttime prayers with his mom and his grandma. They were visiting grandma. And so he was knelt by his bedside and he was praying with his mom and his grandma. And he prayed how little boys do. And mama, thank you for daddy and mama and grandma. And pray you bless them and give us what we need and give us all a good night's sleep. And then right when he's about to finish up with his prayers, he said as loudly as he could, he said, and dear God, I want a bicycle for my birthday, amen. Mom looked at him and said, hey, Junior, God's not deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> want to make sure she heard my prayers. Right? We, we want to make sure God hears our prayers. Hey, this past Sunday, while, while really we were meeting at church, this happened in Palo Alto, California. 17-year-old boy broke into a couple's house who were in their 60s. He broke in, he had a t-shirt tied around his face and he demanded that they give him his, their Wi-Fi passcode because he told the couple, I've ran out of data on my phone. The 60-year-old man threw him out and the police arrested him and then they figured out that he had broken into another house an hour before and demanded their Wi-Fi passcode because he told that family that um, uh, he had ran out of data on his phone. They threw him out of his ha- their house and he stole one of their bicycles and pedaled down to the other guy's house demanding Wi-Fi passcode. Now, here's what I want to say. That kid's going to jail, but I appreciate his willingness to want to connect to the internet, right? I mean, like, got to give him some props there. And you wish that we wanted to connect 
to God in prayer just as badly as he does. Now, if you ask the average American, do you pray? Barna does research on prayer all the time. And the last research Barna did, we found out the majority of Americans say they pray. Uh, Get this, 79% of Americans said they have prayed a prayer in the last three months. 79%. That includes people who are atheists. That includes people who who have no religion, who don't go to church. Even people like that say prayers. And Barna found out almost 80% of Americans say a prayer. But I'm afraid much of that praying is not praying as it is saying a prayer. And it, it tends to be prayers in times of desperation, prayers in times of great need. Now, listen to me carefully this morning, church. I am telling you that God does answer those prayers. When you are in a time of desperation, when you're in a time of need, God answers those prayers. We have evidence in the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, you remember that story? When Elijah was on Mount Carmel, there he was facing 400 prophets of Baal and they set up a little contest and they put up an altar and a sacrifice on the altar and they said, whoever God answers by prayer, we'll all worship and serve that God. Answers by fire, rather. And so the 400 prophets of Baal, they prayed for fire to fall from heaven and they prayed and they cut themselves and they jumped and they did all kinds of weird things all day long and fire never fell. By the way, the penalty was your life. If if one God answered and the other God didn't, the one who's didn't, they were going to die. So your life is at stake. And so Elijah takes this sacrifice and he digs a trench and he fills it with water and he pulls water all over and he soaks the the, uh, the, uh, sacrifice with water. And he said, it's like, hey, I don't, want, I don't want a spark to start and them call it God. I want, I'm, I'm challenging God to send fire from heaven because my life depends upon this. And the Bible records that Elijah prayed a two-sentence prayer. Now, can I just parenthetically say, if my life depends on fire falling from heaven, I'm probably going farther in than two sentences, right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time, I'm gonna call all y'all and I'm gonna say, let's all pray for fire to fall from heaven today, right? Elijah prayed for two sentences. And the Bible says, fire fell from heaven and consumed the whole sacrifice. God hears prayers of distress. You go into the New Testament, you remember the story of Peter, the apostle, when he was walking on water, there was a sea, they were on the sea, and there was a big storm, and Peter says, I want to walk on water, because Jesus was, and and, and so Peter started walking on water, but he got out and he started seeing the storm, and the Bible says he began to sink, and he prayed at not a two-sentence prayer, Peter prayed a two-word prayer. It's recorded in the Bible, save me. And in two words, God heard and answered his prayer. Jesus raised him up out of the water. I tell you that to say that in times of distress, it is okay to pray. God does hear those prayers and God does answer those prayers. But listen to what I'm saying. If you're going to write something down in the beginning of the sermon, write this down. Because listen carefully, there is a difference between saying a prayer and having a prayer life. 79% of Americans say they say a prayer. But it is a vast minority of people who get on their knees, uh, face before God every day, and they have a prayer life. 
There's a vast difference between me throwing up a few words to heaven and sitting down and having a prayer journal and a prayer list and a prayer devotional and locking myself up and spending time with God. And in Matthew chapter seven, verse number seven, where Jesus said, pray harder, Jesus is not talking about throwing a prayer to heaven. Jesus is talking about your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? So let's stand together as we honor God's word by reading it. And I want to look in Matthew chapter 7. We're just going to read five verses beginning in verse number 7. And if you have your Bible, your digital device, or it's on the screen, you can look at it up here. Here's what Jesus said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Jesus talked about prayer a lot. As a matter of fact, this is not the only time in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about prayer. Another passage on the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us what's called the Lord's Prayer. You, you remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You, you remember that prayer. That, that prayer is, is more about the content of your prayer. Jesus is telling us in that prayer, what are the things we ought to include in our prayer time, in our prayer life? When I get in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7 through 11, it's not about the content. It's about the methodology of my prayer. Jesus is saying uh, uh, the, with the Lord's prayer, Here's what you ought to pray. And in, ver- in chapter 7, verse 7, he's telling me how I ought to pray. And when you get to verse 7, here's what he said. We are given three commands in prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. There, there it is in verse number 7 and 8. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Ask carries with it a, a urgent need for a request. Seeking is when you're looking for something, you're striving to find it. Knocking means you rap on a door with a repetitive intensity. Think of it this way. Asking is face to face. Seeking is not able to find. Knocking is not only can I not find, but now there is a barrier, a door standing between me and an answer of prayer. I think that when you see that passage, and we'll talk about it in a moment, what we see in our prayer life are are varying levels of intensity and fervency in our prayer. Those aren't three words for the same thing. They They are words that kind of build upon each other, ask and then seek and then knock, are varying levels of intensity. He goes on in verse seven and eight and he, he, he says there that not only should you have this method of praying, this threefold method of praying, he says there are rewards for praying. And look at what he says there on the screen. He said, ask, it'll be given. Seek and you will find. Knock, it'll be opened. For if you ask, you receive. For if you seek, you find. If you knock, the door opens. What Jesus is talking about in those two verses are the rewards of our prayer life. When you pray, it's given to you, you find, and doors are open. If you persist in prayer, there is always a reward for doing good. We love verses 7 and 8, but then verses 9 and 10 get weird. Look at verse 9 and 10. He said, for 
what man is there among you who, if his son asks for a bed, give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, give him a serpent. Why are we talking about rocks and reptiles all of a sudden? Even Luke adds the, a scorpion. Or you give him a scorpion. Why are we talking about that stuff? Now, let me set the tone for you for what the belief of the day was. Remember, the Greeks had their pantheon of gods at the top of the apex of the gods was Zeus. And though the gods like to answer prayers, they always like to do it with a little bit of a twist. One of the stories in Greek mythology was Aurorus, the, god of the goddess of the dawn, fell in love with a uh, Tithonus, I think his name was. Let me, let me look it up. His, his name was, yeah, Tithonus, who was a mortal youth. And she asked Zeus, she said, uh, uh, I have a prayer uh, about my mortal boyfriend and he said I'll give you anything you want and so she contemplated for just a little bit and Aurora said I want Tithonus to live forever like I'm going to and he said granted but he answered her prayer but the problem was he put a twist on it because he he let Tithonus continue to age while she did not age and he lived forever in Greek mythology, but he grew older by the day and after centuries more decrepit by the day. He answered the prayer, but he did it with a cruel twist on it. And the gods in Roman mythology and in Greek mythology, that's the way they operated. Yes, they would answer your prayers, but you couldn't trust them because they were always putting a cruel twist on their answer. And so Jesus, knowing that is the backdrop in their minds of God answering prayer says this. Hey, what man out here, if your son is hungry and asks for food, bread, we give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish because he's hungry, will you give him a serpent? And then he wraps it up in verse number 11. So if you're better than that and you're evil, meaning sinful, and you still try to give good to your children. How much more is God your father who is in heaven going to try to give good things to those who ask him? In those five verses are some powerful principles of how to pray. We can sum them all up by saying Jesus said, pray harder. But let me even unpack that for you for just a moment and give you three principles that you need to know about your prayer life. Number one is this. You need to know, Jesus said, you're probably not praying hard enough. What do you mean, preacher, by saying that we're not praying hard enough? Well, you see it there, the varying levels of intensity. First you ask, then you see, then you knock. And keep in mind, the knocking was not a gentle knocking. So here, we almost see varying levels of intensity. For the sake of the sermon, can we call it level one, level two, and level three? Level one is asking. That's when I just bring a question to God. Now, you've done that in your prayer life. You've brought a petition to God, and you said, God, here's what I need you to do. And bam, God did it. Woo! But then you've had times in your life where you brought a request to God, and you asked. And he did not answer in the affirmative. He always answers. He just doesn't always say yes. And so then you begin to level two pray, seek. 
And you might say to yourself, I can't figure out why this prayer isn't being answered uh, already, so I'm going to persist, and I'm going to go a little deeper, and I'm going to try a little harder. We've all had those times when God did not answer those prayers, and then we go to level three praying, and that is knocking. That is somebody is beating at my front door. Uh, God, I am not leaving the porch until I hear from you. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to knock and I'm going to aggravate and I'm going to knock and I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to knock harder and harder and harder and harder. That's level one, level two, and level three. Now stop and ask yourself, when you compare that to your prayer life, how does it stack up? Because I'm afraid most of our praying doesn't get above level one praying, a simple ask. Listen, our pattern is that we make a quick request to God and expect him to answer. And we've barely put any energy or effort into our prayers at all. And God wants more than that. God wants more. Let me give you three or four reasons why God wants more than that. Number one, prayer is a relationship process. Did you know that if God answered your prayers as soon as you prayed them, Here's, hey, can we be honest? Just us girls, can we, can we be honest? You wouldn't spend any time with God at all. If you knew you could bow a knee, say the prayer, get what you wanted, you wouldn't have a relationship with God whatsoever. That would lead me to the second reason God wants you to pray harder is because God doesn't want to be viewed as a genie in a bottle. God, God doesn't want you rubbing your Bible to get a wish. The third reason God wants you to spend time in prayer and pray harder is he wants to know how serious you are about your request. Sometimes we're glad. Listen, how many of you are glad God did not answer some of your prayers? Let me see your hand. Right? You'd be married to that girl you're glad you're not married to right now, right? In high school. Or guy. Like, like you're glad God didn't answer your prayers. And so one reason God wants you to pray harder is he wants you to get down on what you really want. Number four, one reason God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, I love this term, that because there are micro lessons in the process of praying. Do you know what prayer, consistent having a prayer life does for you? It grows you into maturity in the Christian life. You're probably sitting here today with prayers God hasn't answered. You say, what's the solution to that? The solution is to pray harder. You're probably not praying hard enough. The Heavenly Father isn't going to answer prayers when you don't care enough about the answers to spend time with Him finding out on your knees before God what God's will is even for your life. And so you're probably not praying hard enough. Michaela, our youngest daughter, she, she was in the early service, but she... She, when she was little, with the living room we had in the house, uh, it had a kind of a television against the back wall of the living room. And then right around the, just right through there was their wing, kind of their section of the house. And her bedroom was just about uh, 10 feet away from our living room television. We didn't let the kids have uh, televisions in their bedrooms when they were little. And so uh, they, they could hear, though, the big one in the living room, they could, Michaela, when she was about three, she could hear uh, uh, the, uh, uh, or, or maybe five, she could hear the um, television in the living room. And so when we get to Christmas time, unbeknownst to us, Michaela would be playing in her room, but she'd be listening to all the Christmas commercials on television. And she slowly began to memorize all the jingles from the commercials. And so almost subconsciously memorizing them, almost subconsciously doing this, here's what Michaela would do from time to time. Michaela, we'd be in the living room watching television and we'd see Michaela just kind of walk in from her bedroom 
and start singing the Christmas toy jingle with the television. Didn't matter what it was. She even memorized so many Christmas commercial jingles, she would end her song with, batteries not included. <laughs> like she knew what had batteries and what didn't. In about September, when all that stuff started, she'd wander into the living room and she'd sing her little jingle, tell us batteries were, were not included. And then she would say, I want that for Christmas. And every time she walked in the living room, it didn't matter what it was, she'd, she, she connected with the jingle and she'd say, I want that for Christmas. But you know what we did not do? We did not buy Christmas presents in September. Why? We wanted to see what does she really want for Christmas. Because if I bought them in September, by December, she'd forgotten about September's request. And she had a new jingle and a new song. And she had new batteries. And she wanted, know, she wanted what she saw in December. So we had to let her personally weed out the things she said she wanted. But come to find out, she really didn't want. And I say this morning, when you pray harder in your Christian life, you'll quit being like a three-year-old when you pray because what we tend to do is we throw out requests with no sincerity. We throw out requests with no passion. We throw out requests with no fervor. We throw out requests with no fire. We, we throw out our prayers with no thought to how it advances the kingdom of God. We ask for one thing today and another thing from tomorrow. And we go from request to request like a bee going from flower to flower. And Jesus said, stop it. Ask, seek, knock, pray harder for the things you want for God. Let me ask you this morning. What is it you want from God? What is it you need from God? What is it you're passionate about that only God can do? I'm telling you today that you need to stop and go level one, two, and three, and you're praying. What is it you desperately need God to do? Here's what you've got to do. You've got to pray harder. You've got to ask, seek, and knock. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't move on. Just pray harder for the things you want in your life. Number two, let me tell you what Jesus told us. Not only did he say you're probably not praying hard enough, but number two, he said prayer always pays off. Hey, throw verses seven and eight back up on the screen, and, and I want you to see what it says in verse seven and eight, because it's a fantastic promise. Ask, it'll be given to you. You'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and doors are going to be open to you. So here's a principle and a promise from Jesus. When you ask, you get. When you seek, you find. When you knock, doors are open unto you. And some of you, when you hear that, you think, I've just won the prayer lottery. And you, you'll get out a prayer list and you start writing down new car and new this and new that and all this. Listen, that's, you, you misinterpret. It is, it is not that you get whatever Christmas genie in a bottle list of stuff you want to get. That's not what Jesus was saying. wasn't even implying Prayer is not your genie in the bottle. Prayer is not your Christmas wish list. Here's what Jesus was trying to tell us uh, when he said that. Not that you get anything you want. That's not what God was saying at all. There are other verses in the Bible that qualify our prayers. 
Because the Bible says if you don't have faith, your prayers aren't going to get answered. Isaiah says if there's sin in your life, you won't, uh, unrepentant sin, you won't get answers to your prayer. James, uh, Peter tells us that if you're not careful, your, 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 relation, your bad relationship in your marriage will also hinder your prayers. I mean, we can go on and on about that, but there, there are reasons your prayers get hindered. So this verse can't be carte blanche. I get anything I want from God if I ask for it. That is not what God is saying. However, what God is saying is this, that prayer always pays off. Here's what he's telling us. That whatever effort, energy, resources you put into praying are always going to yield a dividend. So listen to me carefully this morning. I cannot tell you that whatever you're praying for, you're going to automatically get. I cannot tell you that your answer is going to be yes. But here's what God will tell you. That when you spend time developing your prayer life, the payoff is always great. And here's a great phrase. Things will be given. Answers will be found. Doors will be opened. Things will be given. Answers will be found. Doors will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. What I'm saying to you this morning is all the effort and energy you can put into your prayer life, it absolutely pays off. The return on your prayer life is greater than anything else you can do because when I pray, here is the promise of God that things will be given, answers will be found, and doors will be open. That doesn't mean I take my Christmas list to God and get whatever I want. It means that whatever time, energy, and resources you put into your prayer life, that answers will be, uh, things will be given, answers will be found, and doors will always be open. Prayer always pays off. When I was a little kid, I collected stamps. Anybody else collect stamps when they were little? Anybody else have a... Okay, so about five of us nerds collected stamps when we were little. It's like, I mean, what are the rest of you doing? Playing outside or something? No, I, I collected uh, baseball cards and stamps. I had a bunch of stamps from Canada. I don't even know where all that stuff is. But there are some people that are serious stamp collectors, like serious stamp collectors. And uh, the, the, four years ago, the wealthiest, uh, the highest bid on a stamp happened in 2000. It was the British, let me get it right, it was the British Guiana one cent magneta postage stamp from 1856. There's a picture of it. One cent postage. Let me tell you the story of it. Uh, 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 The postmaster on Guyana had uh, his shipment of stamps back when stamps first came into being. He was waiting on the shipment from England. They were delayed. So he went to his local newspaper and he asked them to print up, in the meantime, a few one cent and a few four cent stamps. So the newspaper just printed a very, very few of those in 1856, one cent and a four cent stamp. There's a copy of the one cent stamp. There are a few four cents uh, uh, still around today and they're valuable, but this is the only one cent stamp that was left. It was found in 1873. A 12-year-old boy found it among some papers in his, uh, in his family's room. And this is the only one that exists. It was owned by John DuPont of the DuPont family. If you remember John DuPont, he's the one that died in prison. He murdered a a fella, and he owned this stamp. His estate did, so he died in 2010. In 2014, as part of auctioning off his estate, this is his estate. This one-cent stamp was part of his estate. It was originally bought in 1856 for one penny. And in 2014, it was sold for, get this, 
$9.5 million. $9.5 million. What was originally bought for a penny sold for almost $10 million. It is the greatest return on investment in the history of investments. Except when it comes to your prayer life. And the principle and the promise, the principle of scripture and the promise of Jesus is this. Whatever effort and energy you put into your prayer life is going to pay off not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for all of eternity. And if God can make a one cent stamp turn into $10 million, God can take your, your need, your prayer, your asking, your seeking, your knocking, and God can turn it into a difference for all of eternity. So listen carefully. I know you think you are busy. I pray anyway. I know you are tired. Pray anyway. I know you are anxious. Pray anyway. I know you are discouraged. Pray anyway. Prayer always pays off. Leads me to that third point. I'm finished. Number three, here's what Jesus said. You're good, but he's God. You're good. He's God. Now jot that down and just close your Bibles, put your notes up and just look at me. You don't need to write any of this down. You're going to remember it. Now I'm going to finish up. You're good. He's God. Because I know what you're thinking. So here's the point we get in, into the sermon. I know you're thinking, well, this is preacher talk, right? You want us to pray for some reason and so... Listen, the lack of a prayer life always comes down to a matter of faith. Did you hear that? The lack of a prayer life always comes down to a matter of faith. Listen, if we believed God heard and answered our prayers, in reality, we would not get off our knees. If we really had the faith that God was hearing and was going to answer our prayers for good, I would never have to preach a sermon on prayer. I would never have to talk about prayer. If we want to talk about prayer, we just have people stand up and talk about how God's been answering their prayers in their life as it is. We get so nervous because we know we're not praying because it comes down to a lack of faith. And so Jesus said this, you need to pray harder. Prayer always pays off, but you don't believe it. You don't believe that. You don't believe that prayer always pays off. You don't believe that praying harder in your prayer life is going to make a difference. So you don't do it. And so Jesus said, so listen to this. You've got that whole Zeus story as the background. But, but Jesus said, well, let's just put it in practical terms. What do you do when your hungry child comes to you and asks for bread or a fish? Do you trick him? Do you give him something harmful? Do you punish him for asking? Do you ignore him? Do you laugh at him? The answer, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. You try your best to meet the needs of your children, right? Why? Because you're a good person. You're a good parent. Now, the Bible even said something differently, but it, it said it in a way that put a twist on it. Here's what he said. 
If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. Here's what he was saying. Look, you're a sinful person who's far from God. Far from perfect, right? You're far from perfect parents. But if, you're, if your kid has a need, you as a far from perfect parent do your best to meet that need. So what do you think God will do? You're good, but he's God. If you will do good for your children, doesn't it make sense that your heavenly father wants to do good for you? Did you hear about the Texas millionaire? Just a few months ago, threw his son an 18th birthday party, Thomas Henry Jr., was thrown a party by his father, Thomas Henry Sr., who is a lawyer in um, Texas in the San Antonio area. He threw his son an 18th birthday party at the Hotel Discotheque Lounge in San Antonio. It had a great Gatsby theme to it. It had showgirls, area performers, art installations, contortionists. The DJ was Diplo and J Balvin and Migos sang and guests included Ashanti, Rumor Willis, and Lance Bass. The only one of those I'm sure I pronounced correctly was Lance Bass. <laughs> he had a throne, the 18-year-old that did, that he sat on the whole time. He got two gifts. I, I got a picture of one of them. One of them was a blue Ferrari Spider. That particular car cost about $250,000. And then his dad gave him a watch that cost $200,000. And all told, the 18-year-old's birthday party cost $4 million. Same thing you got your kid at eight when they turned 18. <laughs> this will give you a little hope. He has a 15-year-old sister last year. She got a $6 million 15th birthday party. Thomas Henry Sr. It's one rich dude or one in debt dude one way or the other. It's far from God. I mean, the things he did at the birthday party were immoral. But here's what God was trying to say in verse number 11. If, if, if you people who are wicked and sinful and far from perfect... If you love your kids enough, that, or if that's called love, you'll give them a $4 million 18th birthday party because you want to meet the needs of your kid's life. What do you think I'm going to do with my children? And your father is God. Here's what God was trying to tell you. Pray. Pray harder. Prayer always pays off, and God wants to give you good. Bend your knees knowing that God has every desire to answer your prayers. And our enemy will trick us into believing God doesn't care about us. Our enemy will trick us into believing God doesn't want our good. Our enemy will trick us into believing that God doesn't have our best interests at heart. Our enemy will believe that God doesn't care if you are hurting. And why, hurting. Why does our enemy do that? Because he's doing his best to keep you off your knees. And so he whispers in your ear, hey, he's not going to answer your prayer. Hey, God doesn't care that much. 
He's, there's other prayers he's not answering. He's not going to answer this one. And the only reason the enemy is doing that in your life is he's trying to keep you off your knees. Here's why. Because even our enemy knows that God hears and he wants to answer our prayers and he wants to give you good. Throw, throw verse 11 back up on the screen and look at what Jesus said. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, more? Will your heavenly, will your Father who's in heaven, read it, give good things to those who ask him. You're good, but he's God. Don't let our enemy whisper in your ear, God doesn't care. Prayer doesn't pay. It doesn't matter. You're too busy to pray. You got too much going on to pray. That request is too big for God to hear. He's trying to keep you off your knees because he knows. He knows. The promise of God is he hears. And he's looking for people who will pray hard enough to get through to the good he has to give them. So would you stand with me with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Our staff's coming to the front. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, look, you can be saved today. It's as simple as ABC. You've got to admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. There's no good you can do to get to heaven. A, admit it. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, you've got to call out to him and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do that today. It's as simple as ABC. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.